guardian angels and patron saints, pray for us. I'd like to focus on the first reading today from our scriptures from the Book of Wisdom. This is a deeply theological passage that points to several important things that have to be held in tension with one another. The first one being God's stature as the infinite, limitless creator of all things. And on our side, our smallness, our nothingness in comparison to God, as well as our importance in his sight. All of these things are being poetically reflected in the the imagery of that first reading. They're expressing God's infinite majesty in relationship to his creation, not just this or that individual creature, but the whole of it, the entire universe, everything that exists. And in comparison to that infinite majesty and and greatness and goodness and perfection of God, all of creation together is like a thimble, a drop of dew in the ocean. This captures the abstract truth of what it means to be infinite in a, in a poetic and sensible way for us to try to reach towards this mystery. If you've ever had the blessing of being to the seaside, you have that experience of a sense as you look out on the horizon of something vast, something limitless, it's an inescapable feeling that, that you have, especially for us Midwesterners, right, who, who don't go to the seaside very often. It's hard to surpass that experience of, of, of being so small beside something so vast. But theologians always try. We always try to, to outdo the revelation by refining it and trying to make it more precise. The fact is, this image that the first reading presents to us really is deeply beautiful, and and we can return to it again and again to ponder it. It resonates with our experience, and it helps us grasp something beyond that experience. But images have one shortcoming, and that's precision. Images are imprecise. And... Because they're imprecise, if we hold too closely to them, we can fall into certain errors if we don't refine the way that we think about them and be precise. So the image of a thimble full of water or a drop of dew in the ocean is potentially open to the error of thinking that God is just really big in comparison to us. That there's more of God There's a greater quantity of God and of divine power than all the universe combined. But that would be to fall into an error. It's not how we should think about God. That's not how we understand the mystery of the infinite, that it's just bigger than us. That's because God isn't just another thing. That's the mistake we often make as believers and oftentimes the mistake that unbelievers make make. That we're arguing that God exists as a really big thing. 
And we're just really small things. It's not what we believe as Catholics. Because God isn't just another being in the universe. He can't be. Think about it this way. The Holy Trinity is infinitely perfect, infinitely good, all-knowing, all-powerful in itself. That means perfect, good, beautiful, with perfect knowledge, lacking nothing, in a limitless way, and power that is limited by no other thing. So, if there could be something that we could add to God's perfection or knowledge or power, then whatever we were calling God wouldn't in fact be God, because he would be lacking something before he got what we gave him. And therefore not perfect. And therefore not all-knowing. And therefore not all-powerful. Think about it this way. God creates the universe. God, in bringing everything into existence, adds nothing to his goodness, his beauty, his power, his knowledge. It's all perfect already, without creating a single object. This is the difficult thing that our thinking struggles to wrap our minds around. God, plus the world, is no greater than God alone. I want you to chew on that a little bit. God, plus the world, everything that exists, is no greater than God alone. If there's one phrase that I want you to take away from the Mass today, from my homily today, it's that. God plus the world is no greater than God alone. So, in relationship to God, every individual creature and all creatures together are nothing. And I don't want you to hear that as me saying we are so small in comparison to God that it's like we're nothing in relationship to him. Like, for instance, if we were to make an analogy to the, to the national debt, however many trillions of dollars that is now, an unimaginably large number, so large as to be basically meaningless. And when I think about the taxes that I pay, right, I pay a certain sub, you know, sub thousands of dollars every year in taxes to the government. And that feels like nothing in comparison to what the government actually spends and owes. It's as if my little tax payment, which is significant to me, is like nothing in comparison to the national debt. But that's not the right way of thinking about our relationship to God, because there is a measurable sense in which the national debt drops this unnoticeably small amount, but an actual amount. There is something that happens when I pay my taxes. But in relationship to God, 
That's not true when creatures are in comparison or relationship to him. We're not saying when we say we are nothing before God, that we are so unnoticeably small that we're practically nothing. No. We add nothing to God's perfection, goodness, knowledge, or power. So, for this reason, St. Catherine of Siena would repeat in her prayer, Thou art he who is, as she addressed God. I am she who is not. So God plus the world is no greater than God alone. This is what the words, the words of our first reading bring us to. But to be faithful to interpret this in the sense of the scriptures as a whole, we can't stop there with that arresting point. Because if creation adds nothing to the divine perfection and goodness and power and knowledge, then why did the Holy Trinity create anything in the first place? And we can't enter the thoughts of God. We can't grasp the divine mind. But we can understand something of the truth that he has revealed to us about himself. And that truth is revealed most perfectly in Jesus in his words and in his deeds, the things that we have written down, transmitted to us through the preaching of the church and sacred tradition, but also in the very person of Jesus himself, that Jesus is the revelation of God. Not just Jesus does and makes the revelation of God, but he is that revelation. He is the one who reveals the Father most perfectly. And when we allow Jesus into ourselves, when we receive him in our minds and our hearts, what we grasp is the Father. And the revelation of the Father's love. And that the Father is good for no other reason than he is good. What God does, he does for no other reason than his own goodness. And goodness of its very nature, wants to spread itself, communicate itself, share itself out for no other reason than it is good to share, to communicate, to spread goodness. I would say it's almost as if God can't help himself, but that would imply that this is not a result of his choice. It's something like what we experience in people who are so deeply and habitually good that we talk about how it's just what they are. It's just what they do. It's like they don't even have to try. Well, of course, they are trying. They are choosing. They are making a choice to love and to share goodness and to draw others into joy. But it seems so effortless to them and to us that we speak of it as if almost they can't help themselves but be good and love. So, all creation then, you and I, and everything that exists, is the result of this choice of God to share out and spread and communicate his goodness and his perfection. And that means then that everything that exists 
have some tiny little fraction, a reflection, a share in the infinite beauty and perfection and goodness and power of God. Everything has that. It would not exist if it didn't. All that exists possesses this image of God. Even the demons have it. So even if it is true that in comparison to the infinite power and majesty and the stature of the divine nature, we are nothing, we have nothing to him, zero. Nonetheless, that is not how he sees us, nor how he treats us as nothing. We are nothing before him, but we are something in his sight. Because what God sees in us is something of his own infinite perfection and knowledge and goodness and power, however small that is. And through our reflection of him, through our just being what we are, we magnify and multiply the glory that is given to God, much like the finely cut facets of a fine jewel spread and diffuse that light as they reflect it. Your imperishable spirit is in all things, says the Book of Wisdom. You loathe nothing that you have made. And for this reason, the second person of the Holy Trinity became flesh and entered into the human condition, became a tiny, helpless infant within its mother's womb, grew up, learned the ways of human beings, how to be a man, how to be a carpenter, ultimately, in his wisdom, giving his life in a death, unlike any other, one of the, the greatest act of injustice in the history of the world. And before he did so, he stooped down the night before he died, and he washed the feet of nothing. Before he did so, he stood at the foot of a tree below Zacchaeus. The relationship, of po the posture between them is interesting, isn't it? From below, he calls to a, to a nothingness. He says, I'm coming to dine in your house today. That's how God sees us. This is why Jesus is the revelation of the Father to us. You spare all things, O Lord, because they are yours. They are like you. Mercy is the act of wiping away whatever's disfigured that goodness and beauty and perfection that we possess as his creatures, as an image of him, and restoring what had been lost through sin. And this is as true of, a, of an exorcism of a, of a person possessed by a demon as it is of an absolution of a penitent sinner in the confessional. That beauty is restored, the goodness is restored, set free to shine again. And this mercy is the fruit of his goodness, which acts for no other reason than it is good to share and to spread what he possesses. And that mercy reclaims us from whatever place of reluctance or refusal or rejection that has come to oppress us. Whatever place we're hiding, like Zacchaeus in a tree, 
Again and again, God calls to the sinner to restore to perfection what has been lost. Because he entrusts to every single one of his creatures, you and I included, a unique task, a particular responsibility, something that we refuse to do at our peril, the peril of damnation. And that task is to glorify and reflect him in all that we do. Recently, in a conversation with some of the teachers at our school, I heard a, a, great, a great analogy for this. That God is so interested in setting free what he's given us from the sin that, that disfigures and conceals it. The story was of a man whose wife came home after a long day of disappointments and failures. And I forget the circumstance in particular, but she was shaming herself for all of her failures and the ways in which she just basically didn't like herself in the way that she was falling short and not doing what she wanted to be able to do, shaming herself over and over and over again. And as he listened, he finally interrupted her and stopped, and he said to his wife, stop talking about my wife that way. And I think that's something like what this call to repentance that we receive from the Lord is like. When we sin, we're disfiguring ourselves. We're concealing the power and beauty and perfection and goodness that we receive from God at the moment of our creation. We're doing that to ourselves through our sin and our disobedience. And the Lord says to us, stop treating my creature that way. Stop doing that to my creature. You, who are my creature, Treat yourself as you deserve to be treated, to be treated, as my son or daughter. These ways in which we are attached to our sin and fear the judgment of God needs to be completely reconfigured. Sin is its own punishment. Sin afflicts us, but so too. God, who calls to us to repent and be free of our sin, welcomes us out of that into the beauty and perfection that we were created to reflect. And no other facet of this jewel of God's creation can reflect him in just the way that you or I do, or any other creature does, from the greatest to the least. And the vision of heaven that we will receive, the vision of heaven that the saints rejoice in, it is a vision of the vast and overwhelming scene of all the universe and its infinite goodness refracting the perfection and beauty of God through every single creature, unveiled at last. For now, we see dimly as in a mirror, but then we will see him face to face. We will see his beautiful face reflected in every single creature in a new heavens and in a new earth. Were we to see that scene now under these conditions here in this life, it would overwhelm and paralyze and consume us. So powerful is that beauty. So in the mystery of this holy mass and every mass, the Holy Spirit who pours into our hearts this gift of Jesus, the perfect revelation of the Father, as we receive him in our minds and bodies and hearts, 
May the Lord grant us a glimpse, a thrilling taste of the joy that what one day, by his mercy, will be ours. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.